Hi, everyone. Hi. So, oh, my air conditioner. Oh, well, who cares? By now, <laughs> by now, the listeners know what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> it's the summer. We always end up recording our best episodes in the summer, and it's always 100 degrees. So this week, we have a couple of things for the listeners. First, we have a couple of news stories, and then we are going to be having a little chat with Joey Kuhn who wrote and directed those people, which you should have watched this week. So if you haven't watched it, pause this now, go watch, or I guess listen to the news first, then pause it and go watch the movie and then come back and listen to the chat. Yeah. It's a great conversation and it's a great movie, honestly. So I guess we'll get to that in a minute, but we have some pretty important news. Today's news is interesting because one of them comes from a listener and then two of them are follow-ups to a string of news that we created a long time ago. Yeah, so the first, I would say breaking news, because it just, it is news at the moment we are recording this, is that Leah Michelle has had her baby. <laughs> Thank God. We, so all we know is that the baby was born on Thursday. We don't know a name yet, but Robert and I have theories. My theory, our, our mutual theory, I will say, is that it, the name is going to somehow incorporate Corey. Yeah, I, for some reason, I would, I feel like it would be weird if it was the first name, but I, I feel like Corey is like a good middle name. It's also a very good gender neutral name, just throwing that out there. Well, the baby's a boy. So far. Hey, hey come on, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The baby doesn't know what gender it is yet. But I don't know. Some, some Something feels weird if she names her son Corey. I don't know why, but it but it will. But I, I will. It, it is kind of touching. So I'm like, middle name is like a good mention. Yeah. <laughs> An honorable mention. Yeah. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with her as a mother. Not for any serious reasons, but... You know, she was such a, such an influencer with Hello Fresh and stuff like that. But I'm sure in her brain, she was like, oh, I'm going to be like a mommy vlogger. And I'm going to have like all the best mom tips. Me and Emma will have like a line of like, I'm sure her brain was like churning. And now I'm like, who's gonna, who's gonna do it? Who's yeah. Who's gonna sponsor Leah Michelle and her baby? Yeah. Like, I can't imagine a company in this day and age being like, you know what we should have for our diaper company? Leah Michelle. Although, if they make the diaper shaped like wigs. I can't believe you said that. <laughs> Holding for applause. Oh my gosh. Well, the good news is that that is not the biggest thing that has happened. That's true. So we can get to that. So a couple of things have happened. First of all, a tweet went viral this week from Ellen from, I think it's 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And the tweet is, I made one of my employees cry like a baby on today's show. Honestly, it felt good. Someone sent it to us that on Twitter. Real? So thank you to the people. Yeah, that's real. Somebody sent that to me and I was like, oh, ha ha. I sent that Somebody to you. Somebody made like a fake Ellen account and like is tweeting stuff. I thought it was like a joke account, not that it was like a real thing that actually happened. Yeah, it's a real tweet from 2009. Whoa, okay. So that went viral and people were freaking out about it. Thank you to the people who sent it to us. Yeah, absolutely. My whole like brain is now like, oh, fuck. 
What else happened? This article is from Us Weekly. And the headline is, Ellen DeGeneres says she will be talking to her fans in the wake of toxic workplace allegations. Okay, so the comedian, 62, I always forget she's 62. That's a shocking age. Who was spotted out at lunch in Santa Barbara, California on Saturday, August 22nd, was asked by the Daily Mail how she thought her show was going to be now that three producers have been fired from the series. She responded, I will be talking to my fans as she got in her car to leave the restaurant. So who knows what that means? love that she's not social distancing and going out to restaurants in California. Well, you saw who she was with, right? No. Kevin Hart. I, you know, I've accepted that they're friends, but I, I just hate both of them. Yep. So then the final thing that happened is that there are several new perks for staff, including five paid days off to use at their discretion, which... Yeah, like, that's not a gift. I mean, if it's on top of everything that they're getting, I can see how that's maybe something to look forward to. But that's a, I don't know, something feels very skeezy about that. I think previously they had no paid time off. Oh, yikes. Well, I I assume that they would have time off between seasons, right? Right. But I saw a tweet that was like, TV shows don't give producers and writers and such time off, like days paid time off because they're like oh the time between the hiatus is enough interesting so then you don't get like time like a sick day that's fucked up yeah that's also such a weird way to look at it to be like you're unemployed for three months out of the year so we're just gonna make it so that you can't get sick at any other point in the year yeah it still feels skeezy and i know that it's just because ellen feels skeezy in general but there's something about that that's just I don't like it. Yeah, me neither. So that's all the Ellen news. I mean, what is she going to do? I mean, I mean, is she thinking that just the first episode back, she's just going to devote her entire opening monologue to being like, here are all of my thoughts and feelings? Yeah, I think that's exactly what she's going to do. Because, like, that's dumb. Who Like, I'm not going to be watching Ellen's return. Yeah. I feel like significantly fewer people are going to be watching. Or honestly, actually, maybe more just to see how she handles it. Yeah, I mean, if I was the head of that network, which I know that I'm not, I I don't even know what channel the Ellen show is on, but I would have Ellen on whatever. Is that Good Morning America? Oh, wait, maybe it's not on ABC. I don't know. Ellen show network. NBC. Mm. Whatever daytime Good Morning America type show they have, I would have Ellen on that to be like, speak to the American people as to why you treat your employees this way and maybe even turn it into a bigger story with like other companies that treat their employees like trash as opposed to just like tune into the Ellen show to hear Ellen talk about her own feelings. I wouldn't be surprised if the show is like looks different when they come back. Oh, same. There is a part of me that's hoping that, you know, it comes back and that all of this was done with good intentions and everything is back to uh, a workable work environment and everybody has a great time. Like, I hope that this fixes a lot of those things and that Ellen can just be a trash person by herself and not to her employees. Yeah, I that's my hope. I don't th- that's not my reality. Well, I imagine the network must have somebody 
tracking and tracing everything that she does at this point. Oh, yeah. And if those producers were fired, I'm sure that there's already eyes on her in general. However, we've already talked about James Corden being lined up to take over for her just in case. Yeah, which, talk about people who treat their staff like shit. (laughs) Okay, so we do have a piece of news that comes from, I'd say at least two listeners, that... Disney has a new bisexual character who is the main or one of the main characters of their new Disney series called The Owl House. Oh. It's an animated series that has 16 episodes, but it's already been renewed for a second season. It has not, or it already came out. The first season, I think, came out in January of this year. And it follows a 14-year-old Dominican-American girl who stumbles into an alternative magical universe and is taken under the wing, no pun intended, of a rebellious witch named Ida the Owl Lady. Oh, God. The latest episode that aired on Saturday that was called Enchanting Grom Fight presented the possibility of a romance between the main character and a reoccurring female character, Amity. Amity? Amity. A-M-I-T-I. Amity. Apparently they go to school together and one of them is maybe up for like prom queen. Oh, and it, and it, oh, I see. Okay. It seems like there's a lot more that goes into this. However, one of the main things is that they're getting ready for like their version of prom. And it comes out that like her biggest fear is asking this other girl out because it's who she really wants to invite to the prom. My God. And then I think that they go together. I don't know. It was a full recap of the whole episode, and I just, oh, I'd watch it instead. <laughs> it's just, it's very fantasy, so half the words, I was like, hmm, I don't understand what that is. Yeah. But that's exciting, especially because it's, to me at least, exciting because it's a bisexual character, because then they're not adding something that they've already represented, sort of, in the very small pool of representation in Disney that there is. Right. So, like, that's kind of cool. I, I I can't wait to see them step it up. I want to know what's going to happen next with this character. Like, Yeah, like, will this be part of their character? Is it something that was only brought up in one episode? Are they going to be in a relationship for she's season 14, two? She's 14, right? Yeah. Hmm. I got questions, Disney. But if they've already been greenlit for a season two, I imagine season two would happen in the fall. So maybe, maybe we'll get that answer sooner rather than later. And animated shows, like, can still happen. Oh, absolutely. I have, I won't name them, but like, I have friends in the film industry who are doing like even digital work at their houses right now. But I guess we should get into the conversation that we have planned for today. Yeah. So this is our conversation with Joey, again, with Joey Kuhn. If you haven't seen those people, pause, watch, and welcome back. And this is our conversation with Joey Kuhn. (laughs) We are here now with our new friend, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) We are here with Joey Kuhn. Kuhn? Am I saying that correctly? Kuhn. Yeah. Kuhn? Great. Like Judy. Um, Exactly. Sadly, oh, no I relation. love it. <laughs> um, so we're here with Joey Kuhn, uh, who is the writer-director of those people who, of which you may remember a couple weeks ago I was talking about, and now you hopefully have watched it. And if not, turn this off and go watch it. It's on Hulu, or at least <laughs> that's where I watched it. And we're going to be talking about the movie a little bit. Yeah. So what every guest we have, we have them introduce themselves in the following way. 
you are going to tell us your name, your pronouns, and how you identify, which can mean anything from gender to sexuality to whatever you want it to mean. Great. Well, um, so I'm Joey Kuhn, he, him, his, and um, I am a cisgendered gay man and um, lamb for life. Uh, I don't know if you, if you all know Mariah Carey's fans are called lambs. I'm Bye. glad that... <laughs> I'm we glad actually, that you brought that right up. Yeah, we can, we'll, we'll get to that at the end because we have a couple questions about a recent tweet of yours. Oh, oh, I forget. Yeah, uh-huh. I know what you're, I know what you're referring to. Yeah, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so I, a while ago, went under this like obsession with movies and books that were about gay people that didn't necessarily cover the AIDS epidemic or like they didn't die at the end or like I, I just wanted like something more and so I had mm. kind of collected this like list of movies and those people happened to be on it and then I for some reason never got around to watching it and <laughs> thanks to quarantine I guess I one night was like oh, okay I'm gonna watch it and then sobbed through oh. I'd say most of it <laughs> and oh. was sending Jay like me- like pictures Audio on Instagram of me just like being like, oh, fuck, this movie, this movie. And then I being a millennial that has recently downloaded TikTok because of quarantine, <laughs> happened Same. upon your TikTok about, what was it, like gay gay movies that you might not have seen or something like that? Or no, it, it was, was like what I would wear what if I, I was wear. in. Yeah. That yes. like, which I'm obsessed with. And I watched them. And then at the end of one of them, you were like, oh, those people, and which I like wrote and direct. And I was like... <gasps> Oh my gosh. <laughs> so through the powers of TikTok, you're here. And thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Jay and Robert. Yeah, it's so funny. I downloaded TikTok in quarantine as well. Um, I feel like I'm way too old to be on TikTok. I'm 35. Um, but I, you know, I was curious like everyone else. And I started seeing this meme, the what I wear challenge. And it's all these young 18 and 19 year olds dressing up as Stranger Things, Harry Potter. Um, and it was the first time I really thought to myself, I, I wanna actually make a TikTok now and you know, educate the children about queer films so, and have fun doing it. Also, I love dressing up, not, not just in costume, but I love formal wear. And so this was a fun meme and a way to you know, kind of experiment with outfits since we're all dressed in sweatpants basically every day. For the yeah. past six months. I just can't do it. It's getting to me so much. Sometimes I just put on a cute shirt, you know, to write. <laughs> it, it brings me confidence and energy. Oh, um, I love it. And from somebody who has 12 TikTok followers, it was, it was great. <laughs> you pulled them off. <laughs> Thanks. So tell us a little bit, we were talking before you jumped on about how amazing it is to be able to like make your own work and get something made in this day and age and how now in quarantine, it feels like everyone we know is like doing Zoom readings and doing Zoom plays and doing short films. And you were able to get this done in 2015, right? It was, ma- it was made in 2015 or it came out in 2015? It, we started showing in festival. It debuted in festivals in 2015. Um, and so we actually, it's so long ago now, we filmed it in December of 2013, believe oh, it or not. Wow. That, yeah. Uh-huh. So... Those People was actually technically my thesis film from NYU Tisch grad film. Oh, wow. Kind of, 
kind of in name more than in practice. I I'd finished classes a couple of years before and instead of making a short film, I decided to make a feature. I think out of the 36 people in my year, 12 of us ended up making features, which was kind of unheard of for the program. But it was around, it was shortly after Lena Dunham had made Tiny Furniture and Kickstarter came about and the Canon 5D, which made it much easier to shoot, you know, uh, cheap stuff, but have it look really good because it was in 24P and look more like film. Um, I didn't shoot on the Canon 5D, but it just, uh, I was so sick of making short films. I've been making them since I was 15. And, and I just, I hate it. Like who watches short films outside of the filmmaking community? <laughs> so I was like, I wanna, as Brene Brown says, like, I just wanna be in the arena. You know, I like, I wanna, and I, I the stories I wanted to tell, like we think, um, I think as writer directors and as consumers of film and TV, like we think narratively in terms of feature. Like I think we just understand feature structure so innately because we watch it so much growing up. So anyway, um, I, I knew for my first feature that I wanted to tell this gay love triangle slash coming of age story. And Robert, I'm so happy that you found it on a list of movies that are about gay people who just sort of happen to be gay, because that was a lot of my intention. I didn't want another coming out story, you know, or tackling HIV AIDS or where someone dies at the end. That was really important to me. And so I also had never really seen a grand, like sweeping gay romance, you know, so I just wanted to, I just kind of wanted to make my favorite movie ever. I mean, I love Weekend, by the way. Weekend is one of my favorite all-time gay yes. films, and that's a oh. uh, huge inspiration and just one of my favorite movies. But yeah, so I, you know, I knew I wanted to tell a story like that, and I drew on my personal life as so many <laughs> first-time feature directors do. In, in college, I accidentally fell in love with my gay best friend, like, so many people do and we didn't tell him for years and kind of hung on to that and didn't really move on and date other people because I was so infatuated with him. So I, you know, that's, I was very much the Charlie and he was very much the Sebastian. Um, and I grew up on the Upper East Side. So in New York, I wasn't like Gossip Girl, you know, or anything, <laughs> but, but, I, but I loved it as a backdrop. I'm a New Yorker through and through, even though I live in LA now. So I wanted to do, you know, just a beautiful film set in New York. And then I always love stories set against a larger kind of socio-political backdrop, I guess. And the Bernie Madoff story was so big in, in New York, right, as I was in grad school. And, and um, I was really fascinated by the story of Bernie's son, Mark, who killed himself two years after his father went to prison. So I kind of like that was percolating in my head and I put the two things together and thought, well, um, like looking at this character, this reviled character through the eyes of someone who loves him the most. I like that a lot. You kind of hit on like a lot of things that I was curious about because especially in watching it the first time, I was like, this feels so personal to me. I was like, oh, for like Sebastian's relationship with Charlie and vice versa, I, I was like, I feel like I've witnessed this not in my own life, but also seen it in a lot of my friends. And it felt so universal to like being gay, but then also I was like, this is an attack on my personal life. Um, <laughs> and so I, so my initial question for you was like, how, how were you going, or where did the story come from? Mm. But I guess like, when did you make the decision to make it so personal for yourself? Mm. That's a really good question because it didn't start out that way. 
initially I had the coming of age story and the group of friends and Sebastian was going to be, um, was have, was going to have to testify in a trial for his father. And it was like, and Charlie was falling in love with Tim, the pianist. And it was like, when you fall in love, what happens when your friends need you the most and how do you kind of manage both parts of your life? And it, the script just wasn't really working. I could tell it wasn't hitting. I love doing table reads of the script with friends and just, you know, it just wasn't playing. And I remember having a conversation with my writing teacher um, and she just told me flat out, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't think this story's working. I don't buy this dilemma. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to draw on this personal story. Like I made a short film already about it in, in grad school. Um, and then ultimately, once I had Charlie in love with Sebastian, like then the decision made a whole lot of sense. It just, everything sort of clicked. It was, it was kind of amazing. Um, and this, writing the script was so much like therapy. Because I, at that point, this was a long time ago, I didn't even understand why I was holding on to this infatuation with this guy. Um, so, yeah, I remember just sitting in this cafe called Epistrophe in New York on, uh, in Nolita, like, just playing both parts in my head and like just uh, what a what a time what a time <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because i this is definitely a, a specific case because of quarantine but i we both used to work downtown in that area yeah. and now mm -hmm. we both live far away from it and i haven't been down there since i want to say february march probably wow and so just in watching the movie, I was like, this feels, I hate saying it because I feel like it's so cliche, but it felt like a love letter to that area. Mm -hmm. And even just that feel, like the the title cards for the seasons or the months going by, mm -hmm. even just like the wall, the, I guess the wallpaper or the designs behind it. I was like, that's the inside of a restaurant, like mm -hmm. like on Lafayette Street. Like I, <laughs> I like felt it and it made me feel so good and like nostalgic for a city that I'm literally living in. Oh, I'm so happy. Robert and I had the both the same feeling about like oh it's a it's like a love letter to New York as cliche as that sounds but it's such a story that couldn't take place anywhere else it's interesting to me that now you live so far away <laughs> and you mentioned that you're like a New Yorker through and through and mm -hmm. are you in LA now I am I live in the Hancock Park area of Los Angeles I moved here with my fiance a little over a year ago and it just made sense career-wise. I mean, I, I happen to love LA. I'm not one of those New Yorkers who hates LA, although I probably did growing up just out of like, that's what's in, you know, kind of ingrained in you as a kid, um, that New York LA dichotomy. But I, I always loved it um, after college. I had a bunch of friends who moved here. My sister lives here. And then about two, a little over two years ago, I got signed at an agency out here called CAA. Uh, and so, it just, it just made sense. And I was, I was a little bit over New York. I will never be completely over New York, but you know, when you get in, in a routine, you kind of feel like you're on the, the carousel and it, you're doing a lot of the same things. And I just was ready for a change. We lived in Brooklyn for, for two years, which was wonderful, but I, I don't know. I was just itching to try LA and career wise, it's been really wonderful for me. So then I just want to parallel that to probably like an hour ago when Jay and I were talking about the movie, we were like, or I, I was like, the one thing that drives me nuts, and I like get it, but the one thing that drives me nuts is that Charlie doesn't go with Tim at the end of the movie and that they decide <laughs> that it's not their time 
and then it's okay. And I've definitely had that conversation with guys before and been like, we would totally work out in like five years, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> the day, but like today's not the day. And I, I guess I just wanted to talk about that choice at the end of the movie because I, I was looking forward to it. And then the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my God, I'm so upset <laughs> about this. And I don't know why. You know, from the beginning, I knew that Charlie would end up alone. I just felt, even though it's this love triangle, the movie for me was a coming of age story. And I felt like Charlie wasn't ready to be with his person yet. And he had defined himself by his relationship towards Sebastian for so long. And then he was starting to define himself in his, through his relationship with Tim. And I just felt like Charlie needed a moment alone. <laughs> he needed to, you know, figure out who, who he was. And he's so young, you know, I, God, I think about myself at that time, but I think, you know, Charlie's in his mid twenties. Just don't think it's time for him to settle down. I know a lot of people are, I get upset about that ending. <laughs> um, yeah, I had the same reaction of being like, as soon as they got in the bed together, I was like, yes, it's happening. And then they were like, and it's not our time. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is bad. Yeah, it is. You know, but I think, you know, one of the tropes of the romance genre is, is really like, they usually don't end up together. In rom-coms, they end up together when you do more comedy, but in romance, you know, in dramas, they don't, they don't end up together. And I kind of love that painful feeling at the end, <laughs> the like bittersweet, painful feeling. I, I don't know, it just, it felt like the right move for the story. Speaking of like lists of queer films from a little bit ago, were there any other queer films that you took into consideration while putting this film together? Yes. Um, Weekend, I saw Weekend, I think I'd already started writing it, but Weekend was a big directing inspiration for me. And I remember when we started shooting the movie, we started because of scheduling with all of Charlie and Tim's scenes. Oh, wow. And when I was, I was really inspired by the way Andrew Hyde uh, used his camera. And, um, and there was something that happened when I, when I shot the Tim and Charlie scenes, just having it be more observational and let them be a little farther from the camera, like not so classic Hollywood with the shot reverse shot over the shoulder, over the shoulder. Um, and so my cinematographer, Leo D'Antoni, who went to film school with me, we, we watched that, we watched Cabaret, um, which is my favorite movie of all time. Okay, I've low-key never seen it. <gasps> yeah. Robert. I know. Robert. <laughs> criminal. Absolutely not to make criminal. this about me, but I, walk, I watched Cabaret for the first time, the like most recent revival with Michelle Williams. And I walked in and was like, oh, I'm so excited. And then uh, Ellie Wiesel was sitting like two like tables oh over God. from us. Whoa. And I was like, why is he here? And then was just smacked in the face by the whole thing. And was like, oh, yeah. that was not about what I thought it was going to be about. No. I have to say, I think the movie is way better than the stage show as well. Great. And Liza's performance, I sound like such a cliched gay man, but it is transcendent, let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> I don't know why I've never seen it. I'll have to do it yeah. now. And one of the lead characters is bisexual. Um, true. So it, it is a queer film as well for a variety of reasons. But the camera work in there, you know, very um, kind of indicative of the 70s, a lot of zooms. And when we were watching that, we, Leo and I both were like, that's, that's it. Like, we're going to use that. And so we shot the whole film with a, most of the film, I should say, with a, this huge ingenue zoom lens from the 70s. I mean, it was like, like this big. Oh. And so the glass, it's like vintage glass. It makes everything look really beautiful and adds, you know, like a little bit of vignetting and, and almost, we added grain in post, but it, it kind of gave it a grainy feel as well. So we shot on this, this wonderful camera called the Alexa that has a curved sort of like 
film stock because um, I really wanted to shoot film, but we just couldn't afford it. And we noticed that when we were talking today, we were like, wow, Joey has a lot of credits in this credit sequence. Like your name just keeps coming up, which to me felt very indicative of like a, a young person's first like big feature and like an independent film. Neither of us works in film, but we're very familiar mm-hmm. with that world and how like right. everyone is doing one person is doing everything. And now that, now that you mentioned it was your thesis, that sort of makes a lot more sense to me. Mm-hmm. But I get, this is such a like stupid 101 question, but like, what was that experience like wearing so many hats for this mm-hmm. enormous movie? You know, I, I had a wonderful crew and, and a, a great sized crew and especially in all my key positions, you know, you know, I had a production di- designer and a four person production design team and a an amazing costume designer and a whole costume team. So I, I had, it wasn't like when I was making short films in when I was younger and I actually would be the production designer and the cinematographer and the director and the writer. This was the first time I really got to outsource all of that, even editing. I used to edit all my own work and I had a, a great editor named Sarah Shaw who did this. Um, so I think a lot, I mean, I'm, Hope, I think I'm mostly going to write and direct my own stuff. So that's why both those credits were there. I was a producer on it because, of course, it was my own project. I, I you know, worked really hard to get it made. I didn't hand the reins over to someone else blindly. And then I think you may have seen my name in the credits, too, because I, uh, I did a lot of the piano playing yeah. um, in the film because Haas, who plays Tim, didn't play piano. And why was I going to pay someone to play the piano for me on the in the film when I could do it myself. Yeah, um, we David found a picture of you like sh- basically showing him where to put his hands on the piano. Yes, yes, I gave him a little piano lesson. He wanted to also watch what I look like, like what I do with my body, I guess, when I play. And it was really fun. Uh, we shot that scene in the United Palace Theater, um, which is up on like 170 something street on the west side. And I mean, that room is just gorgeous and gilded and they had, you know, this huge grand piano. So just to sit in the middle of the United Palace Theater and and, uh, play the piano was so fun. Speaking of pictures that David found, I want to talk about this picture of you dressed as Mark shooting the Halloween sequence. Yes. Oh my God, I forgot about that picture. Were you dressed up like to be in the scene with them? Was everybody dressed up in costume? Like what was going on there? So for the Halloween scene, originally, originally there was this whole 90s thread running through it. Like I wanted to get some 90s music. Like we looked into Love Fool by the Cardigans for that scene, uh, Sneaker Pimp Six Underground, this song called I'll Remember by Madonna that was from another film called With Honors. And originally that Halloween scene was going to be a 90s themed Halloween party and everyone was going to be in 90s clothing. And so I wanted to do a little cameo dressed as Mark from Rent because like many New York burgeoning gay boys growing up, Rent was, you know, a huge, huge um, formative experience for me. And I saw it 19 times on Broadway. So I I dressed as Mark that day with the intention of getting in the scene. But I mean, indie film, you can imagine. I mean, we shot in 21 days and there are so many locations. And so that day was really tough and I didn't, it was very hard to walk away from monitor to even get in a cameo. So I didn't, it was fine, but it was still really fun to direct dressed as Mark. <laughs> Robert also has played Mark. So we were really excited about that. Oh my no God. way. In college, literally nothing, anything super <laughs> interesting. Wait, that's big, like in a, in a production of Rent? Yeah, it was fun. I still have my scarf somewhere. Wow. 
I I'm really kept impressed. it because it, it was fun. The the costume designer came in one day and he was like, I hand knit this scarf watching the Tony Awards. And I was like, <gasps> I, this is the gayest thing I've ever been given. I like have to keep it. <laughs> I love it. Wait, what was your favorite number to perform? Probably Santa Fe, only because I mm. actually never knew my harmonies. So I just kind of made it up. <laughs> <laughs> and they used to make fun of me for it all the time. For some reason, they, they would teach it to me. And I was like, I, I it's just, it's not gonna work. Like, I'm so sorry. Mm. <laughs> Either That's that or great. will I, because will I, I had to like run up three flights of stairs to get there and I would always get there too fast. So I would like slow-mo walk right before I got there to be like, yeah, I can, I can make this time out, right? It's okay. Uh, I love um, college theater. <laughs> wait, okay. So just taking a break from those people for a second, we have to talk mm -hmm. about Mariah Carey. Yeah. Let's Speaking do it. Of I can talk about Mariah Carey all day long. So let me look at this tweet. So we get the, we get we get it absolutely accurate. So you, um, actually on Robert's birthday this year, you tweeted. So I guess someone found an unreleased Mariah Carey, Mariah Carey video for anytime you need a friend. Right. Um, and you appeared in it as a silver baby angel. That's right. That's what? Right. Please, <laughs> please so, okay, elaborate. So, and this is, the whole story is really wild because I never thought that it would ever be spoken of again. But when I was seven or eight years old, I was, a, I used to be a competitive gymnast growing up until I was 13. Number one in New York State, two years in a row. And when I was, yeah, seven or eight, Columbia Records came to my gymnasium, where I, the one I competed for, and they were scouting boys aged like six to 10, I guess. Um, so I was chosen for this Mariah Carey video. And I didn't know who Mariah Carey was at the time. Um, I think I only listened to like Disney and Billy Joel and Elton John, cause that's what my dad and mom listened to. And uh, so I, yeah, there were, I had three days on set. They built custom wings for me, painted my whole body silver. And then on the third day I had to go home early cause it turns out I am allergic to nickel silver, which is in oh. the body paint. And I broke out in hives all over my body. <laughs> um, but, it was such an amazing experience. I got to fly like 20 feet up in the air uh, on strings. And then I remember like they sent us a video a month later with all the footage that the angels were in, but, and then the video never came out and I wondered what happened and they ended up reshooting the video with a different concept. So that started my obsession with Mariah. I mean, <laughs> really full blown obsession i really think she influences my filmmaking as well just everything there's something about that's a, it's a longer story but um <laughs> then this this thing happened which is um I, I think it was extra or access hollywood or something they went through their their vault for some reason and found this footage and so i when i saw it i tweeted it and i you know mentioned mariah in the tweet and she responded she responded she said, Yes, she wrote, not only did she reply, she retweeted my tweet with the pictures and said, um, like, oh my God, I remember that moment. Like how sweet, because I said, I'm a lifelong lamb. Um, so it really was a tweet like 26 years in the making. I just always wondered like, I'm gonna meet her someday. I'm gonna tell her that I was in this video and that, I, I mean, literally every single short film and film I've made, at the end it says special thanks Mariah Carey. I've never met her since. It's That's just, 
in the way that I'm a New Yorker, I am a lamb. And I'm sure all your listeners will now think I am a crazy person, but yeah, lamb for life. Hashtag lamely. <laughs> I will work with her one day, I'm telling you right now. And I have, my dream is to do the musical Next to Normal with her as the lead in the Alice Ridley part. <laughs> That's my dream. She doesn't know that yet. No one knows that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to unpack that for the next couple of days. <laughs> so what would you say, okay, so what would you say is like the most obsessed thing you've ever done for Mariah Carey? Besides dedicate like all my movies to her. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know the most obsessive thing I've ever done because I'm, I'm not like a crazy stalker or anything, but one of my favorite things is that for my 25th birthday, I had a glitter themed birthday party and I mean, I bought a like six feet tall glitter poster. I made a glitter step and repeat wall with my friend Pam. We, we like put glitter and adhesive on these poster boards, set it up like a step and repeat. And I mean, it was the best birthday. It was so wonderful. And one of my birthdays, my best friend hand crocheted a Mariah Carey butterfly pillow for me. It, it's oh the cover God. of my, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I, I'm assuming you've seen her live. Oh, yes. I've seen her live, I think, four times. I saw the Adventures of Mimi tour for the Emancipation of Mimi album. I saw her Chris, her first year she did the Christmas show at the Beacon Theater. I went to the Rainbow Tour, and I flew to Vegas to see her. Before she had her Vegas residency, during the Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel era, she tested out a residency at the Palms. And so I flew to Vegas to see, to see her there, and all... All the times have been amazing. And if you haven't seen her live, I know, you know, a lot of these videos go viral of her and she can't, people think she can't sing anymore. Live, she's even better than on the record. She, she's far looser when she's not on live TV. And so she goes for some crazy vocals and um, I think she's amazing. I'm so excited for her memoir, which comes out next month. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know about that. Oh yeah. Yes. I'm surprised there's none for music in those people. Oh, it would be way too expensive. But oh. also, <laughs> I mean, again, we were an indie film. The, I, the characters and those people are obsessed with the operettas of Gilbert and Sullivan because that's all public domain. And so I knew I'd be able to get it for cheap. But not only that, so I, I love Gilbert and Sullivan and I was never in Rent, but I was in my sixth grade production of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Gondoliers as the Duke of Plaza Toro. So, love it. Love yeah, amazing. so I, I always loved the music and I thought... I, I just thought that the operettas and the classical kind of score would give it its own sonic landscape instead of like the modern traditional music or something that you see in a lot of indie films. Because I, I, you know, you want to make indie films look expensive any way you can. And so I feel like great music that's not like a sound of like pop song of the song you know and um, great lighting. Those are ways to, to make things look more expensive than they are. One thing that we were talking about when I was expressing my feelings about the end of the movie to, to Jay is where we saw the characters today, because obviously the movie didn't come out yesterday. Um, so we were wondering where you would see the characters today in, mm. in a, in a non-COVID 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Very important that it's um, non-COVID. That's a great question. I, I, I actually have been thinking about it because I'm, working on a TV show right now um, that's about a gay wedding planner and his group of LGBT friends in New York um, and the different ways we 
the new rituals of how we get married, have kids and get engaged. Um, and I kind of want to do an episode that's that has Charlie and Tim getting married. And then so you get to see kind of like a part two, but through the TV show that I'm doing. Um, and so I, I imagine that Charlie and Tim find their way back to each other and they get married and perhaps live in San Francisco. Um, I always imagined that Sebastian moved to Canada. <laughs> he would we get were out wondering of the States. That. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the group of friends doing various things. Wyatt and Ursula were actually, there was a whole subplot about them becoming a couple that they were kind of like the Funhouse Mirror version of Charlie and Sebastian that worked. But in the editing room, we just kind of streamlined the film to be less like a St. Elmo's Fire ensemble pick and more like hone in on Charlie and this love triangle. But I imagine that Wyatt and Ursula would be together. And um, and I think London, Megan Fahey's character, I think she would, you know, just be killing it in the publishing world. <laughs> I'll take it. First of all, I'll watch that TV show whenever it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That that not fixes because I think it is a perfect ending with especially like seeing him with a self-portrait like I love it I'm not taking that away but oh. it's nice to know that they would potentially end up together if yes. that happened you know I actually I wrote an end scene that I never used I, I cut it in the end but it was that at the in the in the scene where you see Charlie hanging a self-portrait in the art gallery that then a, a boy approaches him and is like oh that's you know that's amazing I wish I could be that confident and and then Charlie hits on him and it's kind of like, you know, the end of 500 Days of Summer when- Oh, there's um, like the new- The new girl and Joseph yeah. Gordon-Levitt. It's like, what's your name? And she's like, Autumn. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it was like that moment. I thought it was a little too like, you know, tie the bow up at the end. But the point was, um, I don't know why I went there, but yeah, that Charlie was going to move on. Anyway, he's going to find his way back to Tim. <laughs> Thank oh. God, honestly. I was wondering if White and Ursula were a couple at the very end. I was like, I see something. There were, there's a, on our DVD, there's a deleted scene of them getting together. And there were, um, in a bunch of other scenes, there were little moments that were leading up to that. But they, and they were so good. Like Britt Lauer and Chris Conroy, they both were just so amazing and had great chemistry. And um, I was sad when I, when I cut down their parts, especially Britt. Britt Lauer is such a talented actress. Like, I cast her off tape. She was the only one who didn't live in New York and I saw her tape for Ursula and I just like fell over. She's so talented. Yeah, she was very talented. Mm -hmm. So if you were, this is just a question that I have now. Uh, if you were to make another like queer romance, mm -hmm. would you do something as personal? What, like what would it look like? Like what would it, what would it be? Um, well, I think everything I do will always be personal because in some way, right? Like you can't help drawing on your own experience and emotion, but no, I never want to do something based on my own life again. That was torture. And it's like, it's very hard. It's very hard to see it. You become so personally attached. It's, it's hard to write, make your characters do things you don't want them to do because like, I, oh, I don't want to do that. So I don't want to make that character do that or experience this pain. So, but I have my new film that we're casting right now that one is not a gay romance. It's actually about an unhappily married straight couple that falls back in love by stealing cars together from Anita Bryant supporters in 1970s Miami. Um, that has a, a really wonderful romance for um, the main character's brother, uh, who we just cast a really, really awesome name for, 
for him. I can't wait to, I'm not allowed to talk about any casting, but there's some very cool actors I get to work with next. Um, and then I'm currently writing a new feature that has a gay romance in it. And it's about the painter Grant Wood who painted American Gothic. You know, the painting with the pit, the farmer and the pitchfork. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So he was a closeted gay man and it hasn't really been talked about. Um, there was a biography written 10 years ago, which is when they really first started talking about it in public. And I saw this retrospective of his at the Whitney two years ago. And just, I was like, there's a movie here. So I optioned the biography and I'm writing that right now. And so um, I'm having a blast. Like there's this, he, he spends a year and a half in Paris and falls in love with this Parisian guy named Marcel. And so I, I literally was just working on the scenes today. I mean, I'm like, once again, I'm writing like a first date by a fountain, <laughs> like the Lincoln Center <laughs> scene, um, but with more nudity. And uh, it's really I'm here fun. For it. so, yeah. It's really freeing to write things that aren't based on my own life. So I'm much happier doing that. That's really interesting that your first movie was a gay romance and your second movie is about an older couple because that's the exact same trajectory as Andrew Hyde. Oh, Hyde. yeah. They're, although the couple in, my, in Miami Eve, which is the name of the movie, they're, they're not quite that old. They're, they're in their 40s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Obviously, um, his second movie being Robert, my favorite movie, 45 years. Which I'd never seen. <gasps> oh, 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 boy! Hey, well, you watch Cabaret. <laughs> I will. And, although Jay, you've seen Cabaret, right? Of course, yes, many yeah, times. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll watch Forty Five Years. Oh, oh but you both have to watch The Matrix. I was listening to one of your episodes, and you both have never seen The Matrix. <laughs> what? Also, I love listening to you both try to describe the plot, not having seen it. Because, How did I do? Well, not well. So they don't answer <laughs> the. <laughs> They don't enter the internet. It's oh. about, um, it, it's pretty amazing. You know how um, there, there's been a lot written recently that like we're probably living in a simulation. You yeah. guys ever read? Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was the first movie that I felt like really dealt with, oh, we're living in a simulation. And so um, it's all about Neo like realizes that his existence isn't what it seems because um, you know, that red, blue, red pill, blue pill is all about if you take the pill and you see what what's really happening it's like we're all kind of plugged into these devices and it we're all living in a simulation and we're being harvested i have to say i rewatched it about 2 years ago cuz i was writing this kind of like chamber horror sci-fi thing um and i wanted to rewatch it to just study the structure of it and it holds up it's an awesome awesome movie i didn't know that it was about about trans folks when I saw it. It wasn't, I mean, granted, when I first saw it, I was so young, I don't think I would have understood anyway, but I, I really want to rewatch it now with that knowledge. So cool. The Matrix is now on my list. <laughs> Mine too. As, as with Cabaret. <laughs> so in your TikToks, I also realized I have also not seen the, tal the talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, me That's my either. second favorite movie. Oh boy. <laughs> Here's the thing. I didn't know that it was queer. I've like yes. seen it like scrolling through TV guides being like, oh, okay, that movie is coming on later. And in mm. the back of my mind, I always confused it with a different movie, very long mm. story, but I had no idea until your TikTok. And uh, I can't believe that I co-host a pop culture podcast talking about <laughs> queer movies and I've never seen so many. Well, you know, they didn't advertise it as a gay film or a queer film at all. Um, 
that film is amazing and I can't overstate the influence that had on me too because that movie I saw in ninth grade when it came out and I remember it was like the movie that made me want to be a filmmaker oh wow I I was like this is it was just I was, it was so beautiful it was so amazing obviously there was again I was struggling with my sexuality or didn't even really understand it so much at the time and I could you know, like I, I felt it in between, the, I mean, not in between the lines, it's pretty explicit, but um, it made me fall in love with jazz. I mean, I started listening to jazz after that, especially Chet Baker with Italy, with Jude Law, who's literally the most beautiful man you've ever seen in your life in that film. He's just the golden boy, Dickie Greenleaf. Um, and I love films about obsession, which that film is about too. You know, Tom Ripley is so obsessed and enamored with Dickie Greenleaf's life that he wants to literally become him. Oh. Um, it's, oh. it's fantastic. It really is. I'll put it on my list and I'll get back to you. Yeah, well, this <laughs> list is growing. I also have, have an email chain uh, as, as we watch all these films. <laughs> I can hear what you all think of it. <laughs> well, I know that I could go through frame by frame with, of those people with you and, and pick it apart, but I don't want to hold you for too long. <laughs> yeah, so on that note, we can wrap up by giving you a chance to plug anything you want to plug. Obviously, your TikTok mm -hmm. account. <laughs> sure if you want to join the tens of followers i have now, um no but yeah i'm dan i'm at dandy joey on instagram and and tiktok and I'll, I'll probably get into some more queer film shenanigans on on both those platforms right you know the film business is so weird i have three projects in the works but I, I, there's no use plugging them because they won't be out for a very long time and especially with covid we were supposed to shoot my next feature at the end of this summer, but obviously that didn't happen. And so we're hoping to shoot it uh, in March and then it'll be out sometime after that, probably in festivals first, but it's gonna be called Miami Eve. So eventually look out for that. The TV show I'm writing is called Family, but I have a feeling the title will change. I don't even think I'm allowed to say who I'm doing it with. So th this is all kind of useless, but just look out. And, <laughs> well, and instead I will plug um, Mariah Carey's memoir coming out in one month. Listen to the Butterfly album if you've never listened to her music, and then watch Talented Miss Ripley and Cabaret if you haven't as well, for all your I listeners. <laughs> I will say, just to like redeem myself a little bit, I've <laughs> never seen Glitter, but it is in the top like five on my like to watch list. Move it's it like, down. It's coming Move up. it down your list. You don't need to watch it. It's really <laughs> not. I, uh, Mariah, I love you, but Glitter, I mean, Glitter's super fun, but there are far greater movies for you to move to higher up in the list. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. This was so fun. And again, listeners, if you haven't watched those people, this probably, you're probably not still listening because you'll be very confused, but go watch <laughs> it. It's on Hulu <laughs> and that's it. Well, thank you so much to Joey for coming on and talking to us about those people. Joey, if you're listening, you're welcome back whenever you want. So next week, we are going to be watching a movie that we have already discussed on the podcast, but we have not seen yet. It's called Wild Nights with Emily. It stars Molly Shannon, and it's Dave. on who? It's on Hulu. Um, who else is in it? I want to say like her love interest is somebody that we know. Nope, it's Susan Ziegler. Hmm. Well, I can't wait to watch it because I do love Molly in general, but also her role in divorce made me really love her doing drama as well and of course other people oh yeah of course so i'm 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 ready i'm actually very excited to watch this yeah me too 
So, Wild Nights with Emily for yeah. next week. Thank you to uh, David, who helped us get Joey. And thank you, Joey. And we'll talk to you all next week. All right. Bye. Bye.